Welcome to Lead with Confidence, the podcast where we will explore the journeys of leaders who inspire, empower, and believe in others. Join me to discover your self-confidence in love, life, and leadership. I'm Desiree Petrick, owner of Intentional Action, motivational speaker, and executive coach, and I can't wait to join your journey to learn what it means to lead with confidence. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Lead with Confidence. I have to tell you, this conversation that I just had with Dre Baldwin has lit a fire under me. I know it's going to do the same for you. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast, this Lead with Confidence podcast, means that I know you are a high achiever. So when Dre and I talk about the 98% versus the 2%, you are in that 2%. So I want you to take everything that Dre says, I want you to bottle it up, and I want you to use it as the the mental game as all of the things that Dre will talk about, your mindset, strategy, accountability, and the systems that we put into place in order to achieve our goals. So Dre Baldwin is the CEO and the founder of Work On Your Game, Inc. He has given four TEDx talks and has authored 35 books. Dre's content has been consumed over 103 million times. He has a daily podcast called Work On Your Game Masterclass, and it has over 2,700 episodes and over 7 million listeners. So Dre has a nine-year professional basketball career playing in eight countries, and he has a framework called the Roadmap in Reverse that really sets you up for success. I typically share a lot of my thoughts about what it is that we talked about, and honestly, I was so engrossed in the conversation that I didn't take a ton of notes, but what I can tell you is that it gives you a lot of understanding about why we're not hitting our goals. Um, he said something around force-feeding discipline and why we can't understand why by the middle of February, our New Year's resolutions and these big goals and dreams that we had for ourselves just six weeks ago are not coming to fruition in the way that we hoped for them to be and the way that we expected them to be because of the amount of motivation that we had at the beginning of the year and what it looks like. Honestly, I don't even think we use the word motivation A lot of times it's the motivation versus discipline, but in this sense, it wasn't motivation versus discipline. It was discipline and how you build it from the very start to the end, what it looks like to build inner confidence and what it ultimately looks like to reach the goals that you set for yourself. So we talk not only about that mindset in yourself, but the way that you can communicate with others, the practices in both the corporate environment, the entrepreneurship environment, and your home life that are really going to help move the needle in the way that you want them to get moved in a way that if you set goals for them, there are systems you can put in place so that you can get to what it is that you want. And I we talk a lot about books, which is super exciting to me. It might not be to you, but if you listen to the end of the episode, he actually is going to give anyone who wants one of his books to you. He's going to send it to you. So there is a link that you can follow to go and get his book for free. So like I said, I'm not going to talk too much about this one. We say plenty in the episode. So without further ado, here's my friend Dre. Are you signed up for my newsletter yet? If not, I want to tell you all about why you need to get signed up for this weekly newsletter. It's not one of those that you're going to need to save for later to read. It's something you could skim in less than a minute, but I promise you the benefits of checking in are going to be well worth your time. I tell a one-minute story. I give you the book recommendation for what I'm reading that week, as well as a product that has changed my business and or my life 
And I want to always give you an opportunity to check into the newest episode of the podcast. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, I want you to go to my website, DesireePetrick.com slash newsletter and get signed up. I promise you, you won't want to miss it. So that's DesireePetrick.com slash newsletter. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of Lead with Confidence. I'm here with my friend, Dre, and I'm going to let him explain all of the amazing things that he's done before we get into the conversation about how what he has done can apply to you in your life. So, hey, Dre, how's it going? I'm doing great, Desiree. How are you? I am fantastic, and I can't wait to hear about all the things that you're here to teach us. Although, you give me a little bit of like a David Goggins vibe, which makes me a little bit nervous. <laughs> So I've had I've had like twenty people tell me that I look like him. I think I look a little bit better than David, but uh, I guess I take it as a, a compliment. A lot of people like him, so I guess that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So pro basketball. Tell us all the things. Yeah. So my background um, was always in the sports. Came around to basketball after playing a bunch of other sports around age fourteen, which is pretty late <clears throat> if you're trying to go somewhere in the sport, like playing college or let alone play pro. So I only played one year in high school. I walked on to play college ball was meant I was not invited to come play for a college team. I actually just went to college and just tried to walk on to the basketball team, literally walk in the gym and try to earn my way on, which I was able to do, but it was only at the division three level, which for those not, are you a sports fan, Desiree? Okay. So for people who don't know, don't know the sports world, division one sports is like, uh, you heard of March Madness, the NCAA tournament. Okay, that's Division One. Those are the, the highest level players, usually the most talented coming out of high school. Then you have Division Two, which is, again, the second tier. Then Division Three is where I was, so down in the basement. So most of the players in Division Three are not uh, ambitiously thinking about playing professional sports, and that's the reason they're Division Three because they're usually not that talented, and usually they are playing sports because they can, not because they think they're going to make a career out of it. So at Division Three level, most of my peers and even my opponents weren't thinking about playing pro. I was, and I, after getting out of college, even though I didn't have any, I didn't have any job offers to play pro out of college, because that's what college is for, right? You're supposed to have job offers to go get a career. Nobody was offering me to play sports. So my first year out of school, I did not play ball. I went and worked a couple of quote unquote regular jobs. I sold gym memberships. I worked at a footlocker. Then the next year I went to this event that's kind of like a, a casting call for basketball players. It's called an exposure camp. And I went there and I played pretty well. And from there I was able to leverage my performance at that exposure camp to getting an opportunity to play pro. And that's, that became the genesis of basketball. So that's where I started my pro career. And this is 2005 to give everybody a, a timeline here. And that started an almost 10 year career playing professional basketball. How did you keep that belief through an entire year of not really having an opportunity to do what you love? How did you not give up? Great question. That really became the basis of everything that I do now. And that was really number one is just I've always been a competitive person. So I was really competing against the circumstance, not against an individual. I was competing against the circumstance of this looks like it's over, but I'm not going to let it end here. I didn't want that to be the end of my story. And what I tell people is, you know, when you face a setback in life, you got to put a, a comma after the setback rather than a period. And the comma means there's more than needs to be said. So that was the mindset that I always had. And the other thing was, I just, well, in order to support the mindset, you need a game plan, you need a strategy. How are you actually going to do this? So the strategy was I knew I needed to go to one of these events that I just told you about, the exposure camp. And I just had my sights set on going to one of those. They're usually in the summer. So my first year after graduating, I didn't have any playing opportunities and the summer came and went. I said, okay, next summer, that's when I'm going to do it. So I had a goal, even though it was, you know, October, November, 
I'm thinking about June and July because I know that's when the event's going to be. And I am a, I think all humans are, most humans, I think, are like this. That as long as we have a target and something that we're aiming towards, even if it's in the distance, we can endure what we're dealing with right now. So I can deal with working at this Foot Locker in November and December as long as I know that I'm doing this because it's leading to this event that I'm going to go to in June. And that was the mindset that I had. So the way I was able to maintain it was, uh, as soon as I got a couple of paychecks from Foot Locker, you know, I went and got me a, a gym membership because I didn't have a gym membership so I could work out again and just start working on my game again and getting myself ready so that when that summer came around, I believed I would be you know, pro basketball ready and I'd be ready to showcase my game at this little two day opportunity that you get at these exposure camps because these camps are not like month long events. It's two days. And everybody there has the same goal. They're all we're all trying to prove that we're good enough to play pro and none of us have played yet or we're in between jobs. So I knew I had a two day opportunity and I was going to have to be ready for those two days. So that was my entire mindset for that whole year leading up to that opportunity. I know you work with a lot of entrepreneurs as a coach. So how far out are you typically asking them to look like what how far out is the goal? Is it something that you're hoping for next year? Is it the overall goal like your total goal in your business? What is the the timeline that you're looking at so people aren't getting frustrated by how long it's taking? Well, usually I work with people for usually we start working with people for a year. So the first thing we're asking is what do you want to do this year? What do you want to do within between now and 12 months from now? And most entrepreneurs I work with can come up with answers to those questions. And if their answers aren't that good, we just dig into it until we get some, <laughs> some tangible answers and of what they want to do. So often, of course, you're talking about how much money does your business want to make? How much money did you make last year? How much you want to make this year? So, of course, we talk about those things and personal things as well. What do you want to do in your personal life? You want to spend more time with your significant other? You want to make sure you're carving out time for your kids? You want to uh, get back in shape how you were in college. You gained all this weight because you've been chasing chasing money for the last 10 years. So whatever those things are, we just get clear on what the goals are for a year. And hopefully if we help these people achieve goals in a year. They say, well, let's do it again next year and a year after that and a year after that. So usually we start with a year timeline. You actually answered my question. I was going to say, what about the person who doesn't want to be a pro basketball player or the person who doesn't want to take on the responsibility of their own business? If they're in a corporate setting and going back to work every day, mm -hmm. the the personal goals of wanting mm -hmm. to spend more time with your spouse and all the things, those are the some of the things I think we need to keep a little bit more of our eyesights on too. Because if you're not doing those things at home, your work in your business isn't going to be quite as effective either. Yeah, it's very true. And I believe it's all it all connects. So uh, the type of coaching that uh, we do over here at Work On Your Game is it is not limited to just business, it's not limited to just entrepreneurs, and is of course not limited to just uh, life. It's a combination of all of those things because I work with many professionals, some of, some of whom are working in corporate, and they come to me not because I have a background in corporate, which I don't. And often people come to me from industries in which I've never worked. So I came from, I went from school to playing basketball to getting on the internet to being an entrepreneur. And so I work with people who have brick and mortar businesses, people who work in finance, people coming from the military, people transitioning from full time to entrepreneurship. And those things are not my background. They come to me because of our ability to kind of my ability to break things down and simplify them and make sense of them. That's really my superpower. And then our, our four part frameworks is based around the mindset, strategy, systems and accountability. And that's how we help people understand uh, from where you're at, how we're going to get to where you want to go. And often I'm talking to people who. They say, Dre, well, look, every year, year over year, my income is increasing. Our revenue is increasing. So it's not really a challenge of making more money. 
that I'm coming to you for. It's that as I made more money, there are more demands on me business wise. So can you help me get my home life together? Can you help me uh, again, get back in shape? I've gained all this weight because I haven't been working out because I'm always at work. Can you help me with this issue in my office? I got these staff members who are not doing their jobs and I don't want to blow up at them because then I'll completely lose them, but I do need them to do their job better. Can you help me navigate how to communicate with these people? So it's a whole, often a lot of different challenges that have nothing to do with money. Even though if you ask most people, what's your biggest challenge? They often is the first thing that they bring up, but you have to dig. And this is the job of a, a good coach should be astute at asking the right questions, not always giving the right answers. So yes, I do have plenty of information and answers for people, but if all you needed was answers, then you could go to Google or you know, chat GPT. My job is really to help people ask the right questions. When you ask the right questions, then it leads to a completely different set of answers. I always say, I don't understand why someone would want to have leave work at work and home at home. It's life. Mm. It's all connected. So I love what you just said. And you mentioned your framework, your four-part framework. Can you give us a short rundown on the roadmap in reverse? What does that look like? Sure. So the roadmap in reverse specifically is part of the second piece, which is the strategy, but I'll give you the overall and I'll tell you what each one is. So the mindset is where we started. So mindset is what I extracted basically from my days as an athlete, and that's discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. Those are the same tools that I used to make it as an athlete. And then when athletes, because my first audience was a bunch of basketball players, they just started asking me, Dre, you know, how can you help? Can you help me with the mindset pieces to go with my physical tools so I can be a better player? And that's when I started talking about those things, discipline, confidence, mental toughness and personal initiative. The second step and mindset, by the way, is a desiree, the foundation of everything that we do here. I've always been a firm believer that mindset is the foundation of all success, the foundation of all failure is the way that we think it's the fertile soil or the barren soil upon which we plant our seeds is the mindset. Uh, the second piece then is the strategy. The strategy is just the plan of action. So the reverse roadmap, the roadmap in reverse that you mentioned, that's what we do with the strategy. So basically I ask a person, okay, where do you want to be a year from now? And they say, well, I want to make twice as much money. Okay. So we want to make twice as much money from whatever you made last year. Now what we're going to do is deconstruct how we get there and we're going to work backwards into how we get there. And we're going to build the entire roadmap in reverse of how we're going to get from where you are today. So let's say today you Last year you did 250,000 and the next year you want to do 500,000. We're going to deconstruct how you get to 500,000 and now we have a plan of action. And that's what we're going to operate on. That's going to be our strategy moving forward. Of course, with branches in involved in that because no plan goes exactly as we expected it to go. The third piece is the system. The system is now that we just saw, uh, we went through a whole year, you just doubled your revenue. All right, how can we double your revenue again the next year, the next year, and the next year? So the system is are the pieces that we can use do in a duplicatable way and a consistent and persistent way such that we can predict your outcomes. We can predict the results of what you're going to get. So the same way that an athlete has a system for how they stay in shape or how they recover their body or how they stretch or how they get in the ice bath after a workout, there's a system for that so that their body will be ready for the next game tomorrow. We can create a system in business, the same way that McDonald's or Starbucks has a system. That's why the food or the drinks come out the same way, no matter which one you go to. And the fourth piece is the accountability. How do we make sure that, of course, the people are doing what they're supposed to do? Because human beings, we tend to do a better job when we know we're being watched and held accountable for our work rather than when we're left to our own devices. And how we make sure that the strategy is doing its job. Because just because you have a strategy doesn't mean it's going to work. 
All right, sometimes the strategy is not working anymore or it's just not working at all. So we have to adjust the strategy to make sure that it's producing the desired result and everything is based on, everything is weighed against rather uh, performance and results because we are in a results-based business. So those are our four pieces. You know, I listen to all my audiobooks on two times speed because I like it when people talk fast. So this is my kind of conversation. I'm like, okay, I got to have some mental toughness just to keep up with you. That's awesome. But what about the people who maybe are stuck in contentedness and maybe don't realize how much more is out there? At what point do you feel like they need to listen to their their own thoughts and say, this is what's going to drag me out of this? Or do you feel like contentedness is an okay place to be? So you mean someone who's just okay with the status quo? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Someone who's okay to go to work every day, come home and sit and watch TV and get up and do it again the next day. Well, frankly, those aren't my people, Desiree. <laughs> my people are the my people are the two percent. So what you just described is a ninety-eight percent. And most Let people me ask are you like this that. Now. Yeah. I'm gonna rephrase it. If I'm the two percent and I have someone who I desperately want to get out of that. 98%. Mm-hmm. I have someone I love that I want to get out of that 98%. What are you telling me? What's the advice you're giving to me? Because your aim is to help that person? Yeah. Number one, don't try to tell them that they should do it. That's the worst thing you can do. That's what most people try to do. Because if you try to tell them that they should do it, they're going to resent you. They're going to push back against you. And they're going to they may eventually come to hate you, depending on how persuasive you are or think you are. They're going to come to hate you because you're trying to make them do something that they don't want to do or be something that they don't want to be. So what the best thing you can do if your real aim is to influence that person to action, because that's all you can do. You can only influence. You can't make them do it. You can only influence is that, number one, you have to go and create the outcome. You yourself. So you had to go create the outcome that you think would entice them to say, damn, I want to do the same thing. So when they see you growing, they see you making more money, they see you advancing, they see you getting better in life, then they'll look at you and they'll see what you're doing. That's the only thing they're going to do. They're going to notice it. They're going to see it. doesn't mean they're going to take an action. Now, when they are ready, this is the second part, when they are ready to actually make the change because they see you making the changes, if you know this person, they see it. They might not say anything, but they obviously can tell Okay, you're doing better. Okay, you uh, got in shape. Okay, you ran a marathon. Okay, you got it. You got uh, promoted at your job. They see that. They know. If and when they become ready to make a change, they have your number. They got your email. They'll call you, and they'll reach out to you. They'll knock on your door and say, "Hey, I see you doing that thing. Uh, can you tell me? You no, know, what books are you reading? What courses are you taking? Uh, who's your Who's your trainer at the gym? Uh, what'd you do to, to move up in at work? Because I'm not moving up. I want to move up now. They will come around." if and when they decide to come around. And then at that point, again, they have to be leading the, they have to be leading the movement. If they're serious about getting better, they will be calling you and saying, okay, I did the first three, three things you told me. What's thing number four, five, and six, if they're serious. But if they stop calling, then it's not your job to call them and say, hey, you ready for steps four, five, and six? If they were ready, they would have called you. And this is one of the hardest things for all of us who are in that 2% is, thinking that we can make someone who's in the 98% want to get into the 2%. You cannot. You can try. You will fail. And they're going to hate you. And you're going to be frustrated. And you're going to be annoyed because they don't want to do it. And they're going to be annoyed because you're trying to turn them into something that they don't want to be. So this is the discipline is understanding that most people are who they are and you're never going to change them. And also keeping in mind that 
out of 8 billion people on the planet, 2% is still uh, 160 million people, if my math is correct. So it's not like you're dealing with nobody. All right? You still got plenty of people to choose from, but you got to be selective and you have to be smart. That was the answer I was hoping you'd give, because essentially everything that you just said was lead by example. That's right. And show them that it can be done. Mm-hmm. So what about, I want to go back to what you said earlier. You said someone who wants to be able to communicate with their team members in a way where they're not going to blow up at them. Yeah. How do you combine this leading by example by doing it well yourself, but also having to lead these people in a corporate setting or in a team setting where they might not have that ambition? What are you telling those leaders to say, here's what you can do? That's a great question. So the first thing is I had to figure out what it is that when I'm talking to the leaders, usually I talk to people who are business owners or they're the head, they're in charge and they have people who are subordinate to them. So first thing I'm trying to find out is what's the frustration? What's the issue that you have with this uh, subordinate or this secretary or this staff member who's not doing their job, whatever it happens to be? Because again, often I'm working with people who are working in spaces that I don't come from. So they have to explain to me what the job is and how that person is messing it up. So once I'm clear on that, then I'm saying to them, okay, well, how have you been trying to communicate with this person? Because usually by the time they come to me, they've tried and failed to get their point across. So how did you try and how'd that go? Okay. And then once I understand that, now I can say to them, okay, well, I see what the point you're trying to get across and here's what you tried and it didn't work. All right. How about we say it this way? How about you put it to them this way? How about you, instead of saying these words, say these words. So communication is a, a very important part of what I do. I mean, it literally is the job is communication. So it's me helping them understand here's how we get the same point across to a person without offending them, without them feeling defensive, without you getting uh, too aggressive with them. And again, also respecting your position with regards to their position, because when you're in a, a boss position or a owner position or a manager position or a supervisor position, understand that people can't say to you what they might be thinking. So you have to clear the lane to where they can communicate with you with respect to the fact that they understand their position relative to you. And you may not understand what it feels like to be them, but they understand where they are. So you have to communicate in such a way. It's a, it's really a, a soft skill. And a lot of people do a good job of developing their hard skills, but they don't develop the soft skills. With soft skills are just the intangible tools that allow you to use your hard skills in a way that produces results, especially again, with regards to dealing with other people. And it's a very important thing, especially when you're in a, any type of political environment. And Desiree, I once heard somebody say that as soon as you put three people in a room, you get politics. So uh, there's always, everywhere you go in life is a political environment. So you have to have the, the touch. There's a, 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 some people call it tact, but I just call it having touch with the way that you communicate with other people so that you can get your point across, make sure they clearly understand it, and at the same time, don't go too far or don't come up short. So there's a, there's a touch to that. And that's a skill. Yeah, you call it touch. Some people call it tact. I call it social awareness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being able to read a exactly. room and meet people where they're at. That's right. Um, I was just reading the book, The Anatomy of Peace. And they said sometimes those individuals in that leadership position, the CEO position, the owner of a company, they feel like they might be entitled to the better, the best office and some of the, the parking and all of the things, some of those extras. And it, they can sometimes put off the employees because it makes them feel like you think you're better. And they said, do you want to appear that way to your employees or do you want mm-hmm. to bring yourself down in a way that puts you on the level playing field? Do you want them to 
enjoy what they're doing just as much as you do. So what are your thoughts on that 2% interacting with maybe everyone else? How can we make sure we are meeting them in the middle? Not only with our communication style, but with what we're doing. Good question. The Anatomy of Peace. I never heard of that book. Who's the author? Oh, it's so good. It's actually a three-part series. It's by the Arnbinger, Arbinger Institute. Okay, I see. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, adding it to my uh, Audible right now. The first book is Leadership and Self-Deception. They're some of my favorite conflict resolution books. They're fantastic. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it it's essentially seeing people as people as opposed mm-hmm. to objects that are working for us in our life and trying to do something to benefit us and how can we meet them in the middle. Okay, that's cool. All right, just added it. Thank you for uh, giving me that idea. So uh, answer to your question here, Desiree, is uh, a little bit counterintuitive answer is that uh, when you're the boss, you don't have to meet people in the middle because we're not equals. All right, so if you're the boss, you're the boss. And they understand that. They know that they're not the boss and they understand that you are. So it's not necessarily about meeting them in the middle. It's helping them understand. It's helping them understand that you're there to help them maximize why they're there. And I think one of the key things is, and this is something that there's a guy I was working with who had this exact issue. He worked in corporate. And I asked him because he was really frustrated with a staff member. So I asked him, what does the staff member want? Because he was focused on what he wanted and he wasn't getting it from the staff member. So I said, well, what does she want? And once he started articulating what she wanted, because he knew pretty well, she had been working with him for a while. So he knew what she wanted. He knew what she didn't need and what her situation at home was and all. He knew all the details. So I said, okay, well, knowing this, don't you think that she probably wants this, this, and this? He said, yeah, she probably does. I said, okay, well, why don't you communicate with her on that level about what she wants? Because human beings are selfish and people are going to do what is in their best interest. All right? And every human being is going to serve their best interests, however, whatever way they see possible to do so. And your job as the leader is to understand what everyone's self-interest is. And I would suggest to any boss is you ask the people who work for you, whether you have one or you have a thousand, what do you want? What's the most important thing you want here? Is it money? Is it status? Is it uh, you want to just make sure you get off of work at five so you can go to the kids' soccer games? What is it? What are the main thing, the most important things that you want here from this job? And the key here is, again, it goes right back to that social awareness that you said, the soft skill, is that when you ask people these questions, they need to believe that you are seriously asking. You're not just saying it. You're seriously asking because you really want to know. And therefore, they will feel comfortable telling you the truth. Because if they tell you a lie and they're not really telling you what is real, now you two are going to be on two different pages and this is where conflict ends up arising from. So it's just asking them what they really want. And when you're clear on that and you believe they're being honest, now you can adjust and tailor your communication and the work to fit what they want so they'll be happy. Because people don't leave jobs for money. They leave because they just feel unfulfilled. They feel like they're not getting what they want, whatever that may be. So that's why you as the boss, the most important job is knowing what people want. Yeah. And taking it one step further, not just knowing what they want, but if you ask the question, you need to be willing to put into action kind of, like you said, maybe not meeting them in the middle, but starting to understand that point of view and doing what you can in a reasonable fashion to fulfill what it is that they're wanting to the best of your ability. Right. And so I want to take this just a little bit of an opposite direction for the individual. We talked about that corporate setting. We talked about the communication between different people. But what about the things we're saying to ourselves, the the discipline that it takes, that mental toughness 
to actually fulfill what it is that we set our goals on. We're in the middle of February now. Most people have given up on their their quote unquote New Year's resolutions. What does it take? What are we missing? What's that piece that we're not following through on? Well, there's a lot of pieces. We could have a whole conversation just on that alone. But uh, the biggest thing time. is, all right, all right, well, let's do it. So the biggest thing, Desiree, is that when it comes to any kind of goal, anything that someone wants to achieve is that's usually some form of, usually it's some form of discipline. We're talking about adults and they say something they want to do different in the new year, like uh, make more money, like go to the gym more often or launch their podcast or finish writing their book. Usually there's some type of discipline that would be required in order for the action to get uh, acted on. And the challenge for many people is that they try to force feed themselves discipline, which is why, like you said, by the middle of February is no longer working because force feeding discipline does not work. It's a failing strategy. It's not even a strategy. It's more of a tactic. And the thing that people need to understand is that discipline is a byproduct of structure. So if you would like to be a more disciplined person, the most important thing you need to do is put a structure in place in your life or your business that makes the discipline easy. Because then all you have to do is follow the structure and discipline naturally occurs. So for example, if someone wants to uh, finish writing their book, a structure you can put in place is simply open up your calendar or your day planner and block off an hour of time every day for the next six months to sit down and write 500 words. All right, now you are, have, are much more likely, as long as you respect your own calendar and you follow it, you're much more likely to get at least the rough draft, the first draft of your book done because now it's blocked off on your calendar rather than to say to yourself, well, I want to finish my book in the next six months, but you don't actually have a plan in place to do it. So structure can be something as simple as that. It can also be something more complicated, not complicated, but let's just say more robust. You can go and hire a book writing coach and pay them $20,000. And they say, we're going to get on a call uh, twice a week and we're going to work through you getting this book done. And as long as you respect the fact that you made that financial investment and the person you invested with, you're probably going to get the book done. That's a form of structure. So when you put a structure in place, discipline happens automatically. The reason many people don't follow through on their goals here to, to tie up the answer to your question is because they don't do anything subsequently besides setting the goal. They just set the goal and say, I want to do this. But then they don't put anything in place to make it easy for the thing to happen. And the way you make discipline easy is to put a structure in place. And where on that line of that structure, is it a, a timeline? Is it um, a productive line? What, where does that true inner confidence come from? When does it come? How does it get there? Is it a matter of belief or is it a matter of consistency? I think it's a matter of both. I think uh, from structure, you get discipline. From discipline, you get consistency. And from discipline, you also get confidence. So belief is simply a confidence is belief in your ability to do something. And you only get belief in your ability when you've actually done the thing. So that's why discipline actually lends itself to confidence. And they all kind of work in a, a waterfall, so to speak. So when it comes to, what was the other part of your question there? Just at what point does that inner belief, that inner consistency, that inner confidence come from? At what point can you start to believe it and actually start to feel it? Mm, I see. It's usually when we see that doing the thing actually produces a positive result and we're like, oh, okay, this actually works. So now I keep doing it. So this is why in, in the sales world, especially when we're selling something that's like a service-based thing, we usually want to get the people who come into our worlds a quick win. We want to get them some success immediately so that they can see 
Okay, I made this investment and I invested this time, I invested this money, I committed to this. Okay, I immediately got a result. So now it buys us more time for the next week or the next month before we get them. We need to get them another result because sometimes it takes time to get someone to an outcome, but we want them to see some type of positive result quickly so that they don't go mentally backtracking from the decision that they made, which happens a lot because... Again, what I tell people is that you go make an hour long sales presentation and you close the sale, your one hour of uh, motivation and inspiration that you gave that person to buy into you is competing against their 30 years of everything else they've been thinking. And your one hour is not going to beat their 30 years. So you had to keep giving them reasons to keep believing because you're only buying time like one conversation at a time. Don't think that this is they committed to a year. They're actually going to do something for a year. They're probably not if you leave them to their own devices. That's just the law of entropy. Things always go to higher levels of chaos when left by themselves. Interesting. I've never thought about it like that. So what is it that people, those 30 years of thoughts, what are some of those mindset shifts that we have to make just generally? If someone wants to lose 20 pounds and it takes one conversation at a time, one workout at a time to get there, how can we combat some of those things that we're saying to ourselves that would eventually stop us if we're not careful? This is why I said mindset's the foundation. And this is why anybody who sells any type of anything that's in the, like, say, in the coaching space, for example, no matter what you're coaching people on, whether it's weight loss, making more money in your business, uh, launching your first funnel, you know, selling a, a $10,000 course, whatever it is you're helping people with, there has to be a mindset component to it because people mentally will check out in the process, you have to give them the mindset shift because if I gave you all the, and I'm not saying you, but the people who are listening to this, I can give you all the information in the world to help you resolve whatever challenge you think you have right now. If you don't shift your mindset along with the change in behaviors, then you are not even going to execute on the change of behaviors and or it will not, it won't last. It won't be, it won't uh, stick even once you do it. Because when it comes to the how to, and most of the time when I talk to people, I ask them, what's the biggest challenge you have right now? And they usually give me some form of logical need, some form of how to strategy information, uh, something like that, something that intellectually they're just missing. So then my question is this, and this is what I ask my audience all the time. Desiree, you ever seen a line outside of a library? No. Okay. Now, besides a book signing of a famous person, you ever seen a line outside of a bookstore? No. Okay. So, but... At the same time, we know the library and the bookstore has all the information that we want, right? It's all in there. The library is free. You get all the information you want for free from the library. Why is there never a crowd at the library? But there's always a crowd at the movie theater. There's a crowd at the sporting games. There's a crowd at the, there's a crowd at a new restaurant, hot restaurant opening in town. There's a crowd at the nightclub. Why is nobody crowded around the library, even though everyone says they need information in order to be successful? It's because until people shift their mindset and the way they think about a situation, it doesn't matter how much information they have because you can give people all the information. Again, all the information in the world is pretty much available relatively cheaply. I mean, a book costs 20 bucks. That's the most you have to spend to get pretty much any information you want. Why does everybody have all their problems solved? Because they are still thinking the old way. So the information is not going to change anything. So the biggest thing is we have to shift the mentality so that you need, you now have the fertile soil in which we can plant the seeds and now the tree can grow. Now, you can't plant a seed in concrete. And many people's mindsets are metaphorically concrete. So it doesn't matter what seeds you plant in there, nothing's going to happen. And that's why people can get all the information. I mean, how many videos get uploaded to YouTube every day? It was like a, a billion hours or something like that. 
all the information is out there allegedly, right? If you let most people tell you, so why isn't everybody successful? We got all the information. Mm-hmm. I'd even argue to say this conversation could light a fire under someone's butt real quick. <laughs> but if you walk away and you don't put a structure in place to implement it, you're going to A, forget about it, but B, it's almost going to feel like you're getting bullied. Like you're telling them the stuff they need to know. They know it would work, but mm-hmm. they're not willing to change anything. And so it just feels like you're telling them what they already know. Because we do have a lot of this information. We do know a lot of these things. We have heard people talk about them. Mm-hmm. But without putting it into place, it's just the same message repeating over and over with, like you said, that concrete mindset that nothing is ever actually going to change until you change it. Right. And the fire the fire will go out. So someone can be listening to us right now for the, you know, the hour we're going to talk here. And they're excited during this hour. But again, as soon as this conversation is over 15 minutes later the 35 years of their previous conditioning is going to be competing against that hour. Who's going to win? Uh, 35 years is always going to beat the hour at seven days a week, twice on Sunday. So, and it goes, it reminds me of something funny. Uh, speaking of books, I have a book called work on your game. Our framework is called work on your game and it's a self-help book. And I remember when the book came out, the publisher sent a bunch of advanced copies to, I guess, people who review books and someone gave me a two star review. And for those who don't know the stars on books, five is the best. So they gave me a two, two star review. <laughs> the criticism of the book was this person uses the word you, Y-O-U, too often in the book. And it feels like they're talking down on you. It feels like they're kind of bullying you by telling you all the things you need to do. And I'm looking at it like it's a self-help book. What word do you want me to use? I, us, them. <laughs> the book is about you. That's what the book is for. And that, the point I'm bringing that up to say this, uh, that person's one in 98%. So I, I, that's not my audience. So the publisher made the mistake sending them a book in the first place. But it just reminded me of something funny when you said that. I'm one chapter away from finishing my, I call it a personal development book, because there is a little bit mm-hmm. of a stigma on those self-help books. But oh, I, yes. you almost have to sometimes change from the I statements, because again, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the person that you're trying to get the message across to. And it's easy to talk about ourselves. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier to tell stories in that point of view. But it's a lot harder to change the lesson into something that someone else can take and relate to and implement in their life. So tell us a little bit more about your business in the work on your game. Sure. So where work on your game came from was uh, back in my basketball playing days. I used to I had all these videos on YouTube and the players would just ask about helps and give me tips and guides and advice. And one day I just made a video saying many of you players are not getting better because you're watching YouTube more than you're actually working on your game. So I told them, go work on your game. And that phrase, people loved that phrase. And once I realized people loved it so much and I realized that it was it was agnostic to an industry. Work on your game doesn't say basketball, doesn't say entrepreneurs, just says work on your game. And people, you get it as soon as you hear it, you get it. Right. So that's when I kind of branded it and started using that as a company name. And from the the mindset videos that I started making that, again, started out just for basketball players, because that's what they were asking for people who didn't play basketball started seeing those videos and they said, well, Dre, I know you made that for the athletes, but that applies to me too. And I don't play basketball. So that's how I, that, how, how I knew I would transition from the sports world to the business world. Cause I knew I always wanted to be in business outside of being an athlete. So in 2015, when I stopped playing basketball, that's when I went full-time in entrepreneurship and that started the first things we were doing. I was already selling basketball training programs and I had books and I had some courses. Then I got into uh, public and professional speaking 
then eventually into coaching. And that's pretty much where we are now. So that's what we've been doing for the last uh, almost 10 years here is our main thing is focused on uh, consulting and coaching for entrepreneurs and professionals. But we have books, courses, programs, uh, events, et cetera. And you have a podcast. Don't forget that. It's a yes. daily podcast, right? Yes. <laughs> I call it, I call mine the masterclass. It's called work. It's called work on your game. And it's a, it's kind of like the radio because it's just me talking by myself every day. And we've been doing that since 2016. So where can we find more about your book, more about your podcast? Where can we find more of you? Well, I'll give everybody a free copy of one of my books. Can I share that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll go with this book right here. This is called The Third Day, The Decision. Is this on video? We on video? Yeah. Okay. So The Third Day, The Decision Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. This is our most important framework when it comes to discipline. And discipline is the most important aspect of the mindset pillar of what we do. And it's about showing up and giving your best effort when you least feel like it. And that's why it says the decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. It's not a skill. It is not a talent. It is a decision. It's a choice that everybody gets to make. That's what the third day is about. I'll give you a free copy of this book. All you got to do is cover the shipping. Just go to thirddaybook.com. So that's the best place you can get into our world. And once you get on our email list, trust me, you will not forget about me because I write a lot and we email almost every day. So that's how you can get into our world through the third day. And you can find out more about our programs. You'll find out more all that just by staying tuned to your inbox because I'll be there. Uh, as far as social media, um, I'm on every single platform. TikTok, for some reason, has been picking up uh, significantly for us <laughs> lately. I don't know how or why. I don't even log on to TikTok. My assistant does it. But TikTok's been picking up for us. But I'm most active personally on Instagram. My Instagram is just my name, at Dre Baldwin. I use the stories feature a lot. So if you want to get a pretty good feel of my personality just like, like what my day is like instagram is the best place to do that love it my assistant was like are you on tiktok and i'm like i will get sucked in so i am putting a structure in place that i'm not going to even log in All right so um, the structure is not scroll that's the structure yes i don't, I don't scroll on social media i just publish yeah, I love yeah. that. So I'm going to put all of these links in the show notes so you won't have to worry. They're all going to be there. I want a copy of that book, Trey, so I'll be the very first one to hop onto that link. But That's I want to hear, outside of your own books, what is the one book that you feel every individual needs to read to be a more well-rounded and disciplined human? Hmm. Man, I got so many I can choose from. Can you tell me a specific type of person? Who's who's your ideal listener? I'll give you me. a book for them. Okay. Me, a person who knows the information they know what it looks like to be disciplined they've done it maybe mm -hmm. things have fallen off course but they they know what it takes sometimes mm. they just need that little bit of a spark hmm i would go with man i got so many can i cheat and give you a few sure absolutely okay so number one i gave my my favorite book of all time is the 48 laws of power by robert green are you familiar with that have you read it mm-hmm Okay, so that would be my favorite. That's my favorite book of all time. And that book is not only for people who want more power for themselves in life, but also to deal with other people who want power and may use those tools against you. So that's number one. Uh, when it comes to just uh, pulling the best out of yourself, I will go with The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Uh, from his from that book, he got Think and Grow Rich was the one that most people know him for. But The Law of Success is actually longer than Think and Grow Rich and more in depth. So I'll go with that one. Um, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins, a classic. I would go with that one as well. Uh, Success Principles by Jack Canfield, another great one. He's one of the Chicken Soup for the Soul authors. And if I had to give you one more when it comes to just pulling the best out of yourself, uh, you have the information, but you say you're just looking for that spark that can just uh, move you to action and get you going. I would go with 
I'll give you one that's more tactical, but very useful. It's called uh, No BS Time Management for Entrepreneurs by Dan Kennedy. That's a great one. I read that book probably six times. I want to read it probably three more times this year. Man after my own heart, you just listed, I've read probably about half of those, but I really appreciate someone who can pull those books out because of the lessons that they learned. And it's mm. not one book that's going to change your life. So I love that you listed five of them. I've read 60 books a year for the last five years. And it's mm. the process, the structure of reading consistently every day. That's what's going to change. Everyone says, how are you retaining the information? And I said, it's not about retaining specific quotes from specific authors in specific books. It's mm -hmm. feeling that feeling every day of knowing that there's a better way and then putting it into place as it as it pertains to your life in that day. That's right. Yeah. So I'm really excited to read your book and hear what it is that you have to say. I'm, I'm really curious. Have you read all of David Goggin's books? I have not. No, you just have a very similar mentality on the discipline of it. And that's what yeah. kind of made you similar to me. Yeah, you know, what's funny is I tend to not read books of people whose messages are similar to mine because I figure yeah. whatever they're talking about, I'm already talking about that stuff. So I'm actually Maybe not that much into uh, the, uh, no disrespect to David Goggins, but the uh, run through a brick wall mindset, guys, is not really my thing. Yeah. No, I yeah. appreciate that take on it. And um, I love, love the discipline overall, but the fact that you gave us some structure into what that looks like is mm. really appreciated. I think people are going to get so much out of that. So Dre, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for the recommendations on the books. Um, just add five more to the 30. I already have on my, <laughs> on my desk for this year. And I'll make right sure, um, I am currently reading several different books. I'm reading the third piece to the um, anatomy of peace. I'm reading the Four Tendencies, which is the personality framework. I'm reading a couple of different um, Dan and Benjamin Hardy books. So, yeah, like it's, yeah, it's yeah, a lot, like but it's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, that 10X, 10X, 2X book I read four times back to back wow. at the end of last year because it was my season for that book. I needed, yeah. I needed that message. And it's funny because it's on my desk and I tried to read it and mm. I'm not in that season yet. It's mm. not my season for that book. So I said... Right. I'm going to close this book for now. I'm going to pick up a different one. Um, the Gap and the Gain, I think, is the one I picked up instead. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is going to be my book for a season later. This message needs to come into my life at a different time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that sometimes people get tripped up. They're not willing to put down a book that's not speaking to them in the moment. Now, mm -hmm. I always say the right book and the right author will find you in the right time. And mm -hmm. that message is going to hit you. If you're willing to let it, it's going to affect you in the way that you need it to affect you. But you have to be willing to put down a book that isn't affecting you that way and try a new one. That's right. I agree. And it's good when authors have more than one and they can tell you, mm -hmm. Hey, you need to read this one first then this one and this one. Cause they, in their books make a lot of sense. So I like those two guys, uh, Sullivan and uh, Hardy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll maybe, um, I'll put the 10 X is easier than two X in the links as well. Um, since that yeah, one's yeah. Too, yeah. So. some people need right. that. Well, for everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us on Lead with Confidence. I hope you loved everything that Dre had to say as much as I did, and I'm going to get all the links put in for anyone who needs them. So until next time, Lead with Confidence. I want to thank you for joining me as we grow together and learn to lead with confidence. Do you know someone who would benefit from hearing today's message? I would love if you would share it with them and share to your Instagram stories. Tag me at Desiree Petrick and send me a message if there's a topic you want to have covered. You can also send me an email at leadwithconfidencepodcast at gmail.com. 
Until next time, see you on the next episode of Lead with Confidence.